This is Coda Radio, episode 271 for August 28th, 2017. everyone, and welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this year's show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us, I would imagine, back in the refuge of Florida, it's our host, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hello, Mike! Mm, back in the swamps I am. Yeah, happy Monday to you. So you are back in the swamps. I'm glad to hear that Jar Jar found his way down there, too. For real about that, that. That was Yoda. Oh. Misa Jar Jar. Mm, oh, you're Yoda. right. Yoda does have Misa much... Jar Jar. Yeah. Right? Yeah, Jar Jar has more of a, like a younger sound to him, whereas Yoda has more of an older gravelly sound to him. Which is weird, because they're both definitely deeply depressed. <laughs> yeah, the way Yoda tortures Luke is really sick. It's really sick. It's, uh, I got to tell you, as somebody who has um, had some experience with people that want to manipulate you in the past, Michael Dominic, I mean, what? Uh, I can tell what? you they're sick. What? No, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, for some reason, here we are on a Monday. That's something's up with that. That is weird. It has been ages since I podcasted Coda Radio on a Monday before. Something's Listen, afoot. That's all I know co- of. To combat the increased separatist threat. We voted some emergency powers. Sure, sure. It's a good I, thing. It's I, And you know what? So far, I can't really complain. The trains run on time. Um, <laughs> let's start with a little celebration. What do you say? You want to do a little uh, celebrity here? There is a big birthday. Uh, happy birthday to Linux, 26 years old. Uh, 26 years ago, Linus Torvalds never thought it'd be bigger than GNU and would never run anything more than 486 AT clones. And now it runs the world. How's the capitalist in you feel about this, Mr. Dominic? I think it's great. Oh, sure you do. Now, why is that? Well, I'm a big Linux fan, and not paying to license operating systems is just a good thing. Mm, You don't call it dumping, huh? So when Google does it, it's dumping, but when Linus does it, it's a good thing? Well, what OS is Google dumps? Are you talking about Chrome? I was just making fun about it. I mean, we've called Android in the past a bit of a dumping on the market. He, we it was, called, it was like, our incendiary Google. times. I agree. We were more incendiary back then. <laughs> yeah, those were. It, it, you know what? It was before we surrendered a lot of battles, like you know, making money off of apps and stuff. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, and it's before we just resigned ourselves to the idea that maybe phones will never be great. Maybe, or maybe, wow. maybe purism will save us all. They have. <laughs> let, me, let me just fast forward. It's not. No, Next. no, yeah, no, really, not not even entertaining the idea not of a Debian-powered smartphone. Really? No, you have better chance of sprouting wings and going to Mars. Dude, they've raised a hundred thousand dollars in four days. Um, let me tell you about that Mycroft I still haven't received. Well, I mean, it's a different group. These guys have shipped laptops, albeit mine was late, but I mean, they shipped them. <sighs> Why wouldn't you just buy like a System76 or, or a Sputnik SPS? Well, I mean, this so goes, but my point is that they've built I hardware mean, and now they're going to no, try to get into the phone. And but... this sound right here? Wait, hold on. <laughs> okay, it didn't work at first, but now this sound? That just came from a Librem 15. And, you know, they. Ah, yes, that is the uh, Linux model. Didn't work at first, but here we go. <laughs> 
Oh, uh, okay. So, uh, no, no, okay. I mean, no. here's why I like it is, let me just tell you, is uh, I just would love to see like an x86 type PC phone where I could load any OS I want and I could use it for testing. I could use it for my own, you know, harebrained projects. doesn't matter if it sells a million units or a hundred units to me. I just would like it matters. to. matters. Well, I know it, it matters. matters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so we've heard the story several times before. Can I interest you in an Ubuntu phone? Yeah, okay. All right, all right. Well, I just wanted – I thought maybe you'd – okay. I just thought, you know, maybe the uh, – well, How about a Windows Phone 7? I thought maybe the hacker uh, in you would want something to play around. Remember when you used to love uh, Arduinos and uh, and BeagleBone Blacks? Ah. I, I still do. But I have given up on the dream of convergence. Yeah. Yeah. Because it just – for some reason, I can't have nice things. Well, you have uh, you've had an interesting week. Uh, I want to talk about some of the things you have been trying. But are you good? So you're back. You're back home. Everything's still okay in Florida. Any anything you want to share with the class before we go? Um, traveling is as usual terrible. Yeah. Uh, no, no dramatic stories about you know intimate moments with the TSA this time. So that's that's good. Any reflections on Alice uh, while traveling? Some we can do that towards the end if we want. Okay. Um, okay. Couple couple interesting points about like the practicalities of increasingly shitty airline seats and like <laughs> trying to work on a plane. Oh, you mean like with fitting a laptop that's larger than thirteen inches or like an, a tablet? It's almost impossible now. That or like if the guy in front of you leans back mm-hmm. at all. Yeah, you basically yeah. can't do it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that granted, is... I have a little bit of a Winnie the Pooh stomach now, so that doesn't help either. But yeah, that yeah. that's true. Um, and you know, it's it's a kind of a bummer because you look at the cost and the time of travel, and you're like, well, at least I know I can knock out a solid couple of hours of work during this. And then you get there, and you're like, well, now I, I now I can't work. What the hell? What the? This is like everything's ruined. This is the whole reason I came. <laughs> so I yeah, know what you mean. You know, it's it's a hassle, right? I mean, hotel Wi-Fi and then my T-Mobile Wi-Fi doesn't work. So that was yeah. That's always a pain. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I'm really looking forward to these things being worked out eventually. Uh, I could bitch about uh, we don't we we, can, we should move on because I could bitch about airline travel um, for an entire episode. So why don't we instead talk about something that I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on? And we'll start by mentioning Linux Academy. LinuxAcademy.com/coders. They're back, everybody. They're back, and you can support the show by going to LinuxAcademy.com/coders and signing up. Sign up for a free seven day trial of the Linux Academy platform. Advanced training tools that increase your skills and encourage critical thinking. One of the, my favorite features about Linux Academy, game changer for me, are the hands-on labs. Most people say it's the human instructor mentoring, people that really know the subject material that are available unlike any other platform. But for me, it was the, it was the ability to sit down late at night and work on a real system. I would pick my distribution, the courseware automatically updates to that, and then when they spin up a server on demand, that server matches that distribution. And of course, if you're busy, you're working, you've got things going on, or you just want to stick to something, they have a course scheduler where you pick a course, you set a time frame, it fits to your schedule, and it creates learning goals that work and match you. If you're getting ready for an exam, they, they have some great material to help practice for certs and tests. They'll, have, they'll help test you to make sure you're used to that. You've gone through that process. They have courses created specifically to prepare you for the exams. They have learning paths, which are like career tracks. That's content planned by instructors for specific tracks. Study tools that you can download and take with you. iOS and Android apps to study on the go. Flashcards forked by a community stacked full of Jupyter Broadcasting members. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. That's where you sign up for a free seven-day trial. Also, check out their Twitter feed. There's always things going on. 
Right now, they were just tweeting about their AWS basics for the non-technical people looking to get an AWS cloud. I, I can only imagine how valuable of a resource this could be for people in a company or individuals just looking to get ahead. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. And thanks to you guys out there for going to LinuxAcademy.com slash coders to check them out, support the show, show them that you heard about it here. So, Mr. Dominic, you had a first look at something that everybody's just finally stopped talking about. And I kind of love this because it's sort of like the no hype, no spin, no clickbait, just I'm going to take a look at something these guys are working at and tell you how it is from my perspective as a developer who'd be using this platform to create software. And, ladies and gentlemen, it's Pop OS from System76. And uh, so you got back after traveling decided time for a new distro? So because of the aforementioned airplane space issue, I took my 13-inch MacBook uh, while traveling. And I was gone for approximately three weeks. Uh, That's a long time to be stuck in Mac OS. It's like, you know, it it does things to you. Like, you go in a boy and you come out a very different man. Much like Oz. <laughs> so I came back and the first thing I did was like, no, I'm done. So I'm like, let me give Pop OS a can shot. I, can I interrupt and ask, just out of curiosity, what it is that bothers you about it so much? Do you, do you Was there anything that stood out at you? So... A lot of it was actually the hardware. That stupid keyboard. I have the uh, the original version of that chiclet keyboard, the 13-inch MacBook Pro, because I bought a refurb. So it's like this 2016 model. Mm, okay. Um, which in small doses is fine. Yeah, yeah, which is pretty much how I use it when editing. But three weeks straight, it basically mm. became like Chinese torture. Like keys started sticking. I started having problems. And I had to like take a – I actually had to take a playing card underneath the N key and like jam it up. Oh, gosh. And the reason I think it was N is because N is one of my like hot key shortcuts. It's like Control Shift N does something mm-hmm. in this code, maps it to. Um, so I was like really getting frustrated with just like all of it and like every you know you know Mac OS has has always and we've talked about this over the years. It has a problem of like doing its job of being incredibly boring at the same time. So I was I was already toying with the change. Um, and at home in the in Dagobah, otherwise known as Florida, I have been using uh, GNOME, Ubuntu GNOME, full-time anyway. Yeah. I just didn't take the lemur because it is like 14 or 15 inches. And I know from prior travel that it's just physically impossible to open it on an airplane with trainer. So I took the 13-inch MacBook Pro. Sure. Um, yeah, it was just like terrible. I mean, it... <laughs> Not that it's, you know, this is obviously like a super, you know, I just don't like it anymore problem. But yeah, so I decided, you know what, let me jump on that System76 bandwagon and uh, try out Pop! OS. I, I, I got popping. First thing I noticed was the name Pop! OS is deeply confusing. Pop! exclamation mark underscore capital OS. That's rough. Also, like, the rough thing about that is the initials are POS if you break it down. Yeah, or they could have just called it, like, Pop, right? That would have been good. That would have been really good. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I have some impressions. It's on the whole – I mean, have you used it yet, Chris? Yeah, several times, several times. I've used okay. it I've used it when it first came out, and uh, I used it actually um, last Tuesday, too. Okay, yeah. How, how did you find it, or do you want me to jump in first? Um, it's, it's, it's hard for me to actually – 
really tell you what stood out. I actually thought you did a good job of pulling out a couple of things and putting them into words that I kind of had a hard time saying. Um, so I would say jump in. Uh, I like I like your description of sort of the design inspirations and things like that. I think those yeah. are sort of spot on and, and put well. So I, I'd say take it and I'll jump in afterwards. Sure. So if, if you've ever used GNOME 3, you'll know that like, you'll know like um, GNOME 3 and like Unity is actually what I really mean here. Unity from like Ubuntu 17.0 or whatever. Um, Pop! OS is a lot, follows a lot of the same conventions, a lot of the same like layout style of Unity. But it merges kind of like an Android uh, material design aesthetic with it that actually ends up looking really nice, I think. Uh, they go so far as to have like GTK icons for commonly used applications. Like they have a special VS Code icon that looks really good. Yeah, I think I that's know. some significant. And they've, they've worked on a Telegram theme and yeah. whatnot to really bring it together in a way that uh, I feel like no other theme fully has before. And so you really have to give them credit for that because it gives it a real consistent feel. My, uh, I thought sometimes the, the colors were a little garish, a little, little harsh, but those could be dialed down over time. Yeah, my, I mean, so it starts off with a pretty, like, brown, like, it's almost, how would you say this, like a muted suede-ish brown with, like, a lot of yellow and teal, yeah, right, or yep, aqua. Yeah, yeah, So it is, you know, it's certainly an opinion, opinionated design. This is not, like, a vanilla sort of, like, Gnome 3 where it's, you know, white or black and, you know, you kind of get a plain design. Um, I like it, though I probably would end up toning down the aqua, like, once I start customizing because... At night, I found it's just like ridiculously bright. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. The terminal has a good theme in it, but again, that's this all kind of trivial stuff. My my only real point of complaints are they kept the damn login page, which I thought was interesting because that's like the worst part of Unity <laughs> and No. Ah, ah, yeah. Well, uh, you'll be happy to know uh, that they just posted in their most recent uh, update blog that uh, they are going to be fixing that problem. It just, okay. it required, it, it requires patching Gnome Shell. So, oh, okay, that uh, makes sense, yeah. There, that's another, you know, that's another little thing they'll have to maintain, but it's not a major thing. Um, yeah, if, if, like a few other, like, things that I found odd, because, like, as I was installing it, I was, like, reading all the marketing on it. One thing I didn't understand was it's marketed as an OS for makers. And creators. And creators. Wait, is it, is it from Apple? Like, mm-hmm. So confused. Um, I wish I had seen, I don't know if you remember this, I don't know if they still do it, but it, the original Sputnik Alpha program. Oh, yeah. I sure. bought one of them, and you could, when you set it up, you could tell it what type of person you were. Were you a sysadmin? Were you a web developer? And I forgot what the other presets were, but I, I did the web developer one. Right. And it would like preload a bunch of packages for you that it thought you needed. Canonical is, has worked a bit on that, uh, so to sort of bring that in, and what, the, what System76 could do is sort of expose that tool that yeah, i think I, is that would be that would be like i think that'd be super sweet because i'm i'm and this is another topic i didn't put in the doc but i'm probably actually opening a physical space next month maniac uh, we, we could, here. you know we should mention we're going to record a thursday episode we should talk about it in the yeah. thursday episode let's do it on thursday okay um and, and just but this is how it ties into pop os right yeah yeah i'm looking to standardize all the machines and i'm yeah. uh, thinking of doing it with system 76 uh-huh Obviously, I'd like to do it on Pop, and I would love to just have like a preset. And I know I could do my own image. Don't email me about like doing my own Ubuntu spin. I know I can, but like I wish it was an easy way to set up. Like this person's a salesperson; they need, you know, yeah, nothing like a profile that loads Chrome and maybe 
inst- it wouldn't be even great if it could like install a messaging client or install the Slack app and have it Slack. configured. Everybody needs Slack, yeah. right? That would be that would be awesome. Yeah. Just like, and I know like for my needs, I could do it with the Bash script, right? I could sure. just be like, as soon as you load the machine, it runs a script. Yeah, and if you had all day, you could probably concoct the perfect image, and you could you know, and then you right. could keep it update with new hardware. Yeah, it's no, yeah. but that's not what your job is. <laughs> you want the you would love it if the OS provided that as just a tool built in. That's that's a good well, idea. Well, even even like on Mac OS, like getting someone onboarded and setting up their machine is like an all day oh, yeah. adventure. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, and why not take advantage of Linux's repositories and all of this right. stuff? Yeah, I agree. So um, that's good. Is there anything else you want to touch on before I give you my take on it? Uh, no, I mean, so far I'm still using it, and I think I'm probably just gonna roll with it unless okay. something heinous happens. So, so. Um, <clears throat> I have been. Uh, I'm an 11 year customer of System 76. I was their first customer who wasn't a friend or family. So uh, I, I have. I would say, if anything, I have a bias towards System 76. Just long term, with that perspective, it was. I've mentioned this before uh, in the past. It was a. Uh, it was a signing requirement for a job that I took. Is that they had to let me use System 76 hardware? Did you really do that? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely did. And um, that was actually the first computer that was sold. See, because back then I knew about System76 because I'd been watching them for a while because I did the Linux Action Show. And so, you know, this is really early on. And so uh, I've been a long-time, long, long-time customer. And uh, I am... There's days where I, I verge on mild depression about what they're doing and about where they're going and about how fast they're doing it. What? Yeah, so uh, I mentioned that they are patching Gnome Shell for theming. They're patching Gnome Shell also for... They're patching, as they put it, their theme directly into Gnome Shell, which isn't even the right terminology. It, it alarms me at every level. When they speak about it, they don't use the right terminology. When they tweet about it, they, the things okay. they tweet uh, show how unprepared they are. So they, they just tweeted, for example, today, a couple of minutes before we started this show, a picture... What they said was an elementary OS uh, hackathon in System76's office with uh, Pop OS d- development team. Um, and it's, it's, uh, it's actually two elementary OS developers, one of which who is also a part who is, works for System76 and part of his job, one of his responsibilities at System76 is leading Pop OS development. But he's primarily a UI designer, Cassidy. He's a great guy. I've met him many times. I like him a lot. He's not an OS architect. Carl sitting in here. He's the CEO. You have Ian. Ian's a great guy. I've met him a lot, but he's their chief R&D guy. This is like his job. This is the only job he's ever had. There's other people around the table. There's one software developer that actually writes software at this table, and this is the Pop! OS development team. And they all have other job responsibilities. One of these guys doesn't even sitting at the table doesn't even work at System76. Daniel Foray is the elementary OS founder, and he's there to work on uh, installing software and software installer. They, they, they are a company that already has too many things going on. In this next, in this next year, they're going to try to spin up hardware manufacturing. A company that's never done that before is going to take on manufacturing. They're going to run, a, okay. they're going to run that, and they're also now taking on launching an operating system. As far as I've heard so far, they have not met the qualifications to become an official Ubuntu flavor, which means they're shipping trademark software. And then we really get into the crux of the issue. All of this would be sort of secondary. In fact, it is really secondary if it wasn't for the crux of the issue. And that is Ubuntu 17.10 
doesn't just look like it's going to be a decent release. It looks like this might be the best release Canonical has ever created. Ever. We're incorrect. That's 9.10, but keep going. <clears throat> no, I'm telling you. I'm telling you, really, honestly. It's, I think it's going to be better than anything they've... I'm not, I'm not, it's not, not hyperbole. I think it's really going to be better than anything they've ever done. Um, so you can start at the theme. The theme is gorgeous. It's professional. Okay. It's not garish. It gives a clear line from Unity. They've decided to... They've decided to fork the dock in a way that I don't understand why any other open source project hasn't ever done before. It's a totally polite fork that respects the settings of the upstream. It transparently swaps in and out if you decide to install the upstream dock, and it shares the settings with schema overlays. It's like the most polite, and they're working directly with the development team. The way that they're shipping their modifications to GNOME is the way the GNOME project intended. They're modifications to a shell session. So you can choose the Ubuntu session, you can choose GNOME or GNOME Classic. They're using the same tools that the GNOME development team used to create the GNOME Classic shell to create the canonical blessed Ubuntu shell. And if you don't like it, you log into just a GNOME Classic. You can install any old extension you want. There's zero conflicts. There's no issues. Everything's good. System 76 is modifying GNOME directly. They're patching it for their theme that a lot of people don't even really necessarily intend to keep. A lot of people are going to change their theme. And they're making major modifications to GNOME shell, or even minor ones that they still have to track for something that they could implement in an entirely different, more appropriate way. And on top of all of this, all of this Pop! OS stuff that we've been talking about is based on a version of Ubuntu that they're not even going to ship. They're rebasing right now, this week, on Ubuntu 17.10, which ships with a different version of GTK, a different version of GNOME, a different version of the drivers, the Linux kernel, systemd, all of it. Massive changes to Network Manager. It is a huge release. And they're just rebasing on it right now. And they still think they're going to ship around the time 1710 lands. Okay. So let me take a quick swig of my Johnny Red today, by the way. This is... Yeah. See, if, if Canonical blew it, if Canonical hadn't gone to Guadec and gotten in and repaired their relationship with Upstream GNOME, if Canonical mm-hmm. hadn't decided to work Upstream and contribute a thousand bug fixes back to Bluetooth to fix hardware video accelerated playback directly Upstream by working with the Chromium team, if they hadn't if they hadn't changed over this new leaf and just gone out to where the community was at and started working Upstream with all of these projects and really doubling down and making this thing great, then System76 would have nailed it here. But the thing is, the opposite happened. Canonical addressed tons of criticism. They are shipping Wayland. They're shipping GNOME. They're working upstream. They're contributing fixes back directly to the projects. And they're listening to user input in a way that they haven't listened since they launched the project. And the problem is, System76 isn't doing those things. They're not being graceful about the way they're going about this. They haven't become an official Ubuntu flavor yet. They're patching their theme directly into the shell. They're rebasing mid-beta cycle on a totally new version of GNOME and GTK. And they have a small team with no background in doing this that has other job responsibilities besides shipping an operating system. So, a couple questions. Um, One... You keep going on and on about being an official Ubuntu flavor. That's I didn't it. think the standards, I mean, I'm a little outdated, but I didn't think the standards on this were super high. 
They're not really. No, there's just a few okay. things. Yeah. And what does that get you? Essentially, the biggest thing, the one that they don't I don't think they even necessarily put as a bullet point on the website is legal protection from using their repositories and their software that has the Ubuntu trademark in the in the names. You otherwise have to basically take their source and rebuild. You have to do what CentOS does. So what CentOS CentOS is totally legal based on Red Hat Enterprise Linux and you won't find a mention of Red Hat anywhere in CentOS. You have to do that if you want to play this game. And they're not. They're using Canonical's repositories. They're using Canonical's devs that they've packaged up uh, with the Ubuntu name in the files and in in the headers. That's all there, and they're just shipping it. So your concern is some sort of legal action, basically. Eventually, it could be a problem. The other thing is I I think it sets a misconception in the purchaser's mind. So you think you're getting something that's Ubuntu, but it turns out to be like an Ubuntu hybrid. And this is this is step one. This is release one. This is where we're at with release one. Where do we get in release two, three, or four where Canonical has some hardware, or I'm sorry, where System76 has some hardware that needs some software that Canonical isn't going to ship in Ubuntu? Then where do we go from there? This PPA is already God. becoming kind of like a mandatory component of Pop! OS. So they, they're not even really solving the PPA problem. Like, they didn't, like, break out of their old System76 driver PPA that they just shipped with Ubuntu. They're still using that. And now they're using right. it to cram down, like, firmware updates instead of doing things like FW update through GNOME software. And it's becoming, like, this behemoth that you're going to become dependent on. And that's not Ubuntu proper. If you have to have that PPA to use that, that's not Ubuntu proper. That's not what customers expect. That's not production matching development. That's not going to sell hardware. And if I was basing my business around an OS, there's no way I could base around this. And it, as an 11-year customer, it literally rips me up inside to say that. Wow. Because I yeah, like I, these people. I did people. not expect such a hard reaction. So here is why I'm attracted to it. And, you know, theoretically, the dream situation for me goes something like this, right? Let, let's, let's call him Dylan, right? I hire a new developer out of associate school named Dylan out of junior college. And I need, and I never hire people till I already need them, right? So I'm already behind the eight ball. I could theoretically get a machine set up with Linux that just works, has the tools, is good to go, with maybe like you know two or three hours of you know tweaking on his part. You're saying that there's actually some sort of like existential trademark infringement. See, that's where you lost me. So it, it, the snap, the uh, the spin thing gives him gives them trademark protection. I would I would tell you if Canonical was a different company I think there would already be an issue. I really believe that. Really? Yeah, I really do. I think so. I think Ow. the only reason the only gatekeeper that keeps them from going after them is public image on Canonical's part because nobody is going to cover Canonical suing a Ubuntu hardware maker that decided to launch their own distro. Nobody's going to cover that in the right way. It's all going to be seen as anti-competitive. The reality is, it's the same reason I think Canonical, see, where Canonical can do it is they went after OVH, because OVH was doing the same thing. They were shipping something called Ubuntu, saying it was Ubuntu compatible, but they were ramming their own kernel in there. It's essentially what System76 is doing, only it's not just certain kernel components, it's the entire stack all the way up. And you also have to figure eventually it's going to be in their best interest, Carl has even said this, this is not something I'm making up, that they might want to go to a faster release cadence, something that matches the pace of which new drivers and firmware are developed that resolve issues that they have on shipping systems. 
And so for them, they've considered in the past, it'd be much easier for them to support their customers if they could ship newer versions of packages than what straight Ubuntu does. So you could see how eventually they're also going to start having a different rolling or a different release cycle, something more frequent updates coming down that they support directly. Why should I care? Other than like, like the thing you said that was most interesting to me was like 1710 might be really, really good. Well, so why aren't you using Linux Mint? Well, I used it before, and I I wasn't thrilled. It felt like I was off the beaten path. I mean, there's one thing that I think has brought you back to Ubuntu over and over again is it's a skill set that you're building that applies to the same thing you're running up on a VPS or on a server. There is is a translatable benefit to having your production system and your development systems match. Pop is, I mean, for all intents and purposes, right now, I mean... Yeah, Theoretically, right, it could change, yeah. but right now it's Ubuntu, right? It is a skinned version of Ubuntu. In, in terms of technical differences, it's minimal at this point. Um, but sometimes there's corporations that really don't care about that. If it's called something else and it has a different, it has a different um, theme and a different icon, you know, the corporate policy is you install Ubuntu. You get, you can do Ubuntu, you can do Mac, you can do Chrome OS. That's how Amazon and Google are already. This has already happened, actually. And and then it's like in rare work case use cases, they'll give you a Windows laptop at uh, Amazon and Google. Uh, this, But it's Ubuntu. It's not Pop! OS. It's not Mint. It's not Fedora. It's Ubuntu. In fact, it's, it's their version of Ubuntu, too. Uh, they, they have no interest. They have no interest in Pop! OS. They're not gonna, this isn't going to sell hardware. This is going to get replaced. This is going to be a bunch of wasted work that, that distracts a small company that already has a damn near impossible task of competing with Lenovo, Dell, and Apple. And they See, already that, 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 that rings more true. That rings more true in that. Well, this is the core issue. This is a yeah. huge distraction of time and resources that's going to result in less hardware sold. Meanwhile, Dell's going to eat their lunch. They're having they're having a hundred percent year over year growth in Dell Linux systems. They're building more than ever. Well, I, I would I would argue that you know you mentioned that they're going to hardware manufacturing. I mean, we don't want to have another like hardware episode, but we may as well. Dell has one advantage in that you know they can buy things at like ridiculously low prices, right? So you know, pound for pound, the XPS 13 is probably the king of the crop, I would think. I mean, I had the original one and it was beautiful. My wife has the Windows version that we wanted from two years ago, and that's you know very very nice. Um, and I don't think Dell. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, but other than that initial customization that I mentioned. Um, way back when the Alpha, like 2014, 2013, they were not doing any software customizations other than drivers and, and things like that. Yeah, they might, you know, they might, uh, uh, yeah, for the most part. But they, I mean, I think it's like a Dell assistive ISO. app you can install. Yeah, they make they have a, they have a few tweaks to the ISO. Um, but the way that uh, the the way that the Dell and HP programs work is they're different. They're uh, those changes aren't made by Dell or HP or Lenovo. Or Samsung or anybody that has one of these agreements, they don't they don't write a line of code. <laughs> they might uh, call up the vendors and say, "Hey, can you work with my boys over at Canonical because they're trying to get your piece of hardware to work on our laptop?" But Canonical, as part of the OEM agreement, and they make a little bit of money off this, they write all of the code. So anything, and then they have it's officially packaged by them. It's in a repository by them. It is one hundred percent 
upstream canonical code that Dell ships. It's not some hacked together job that Dell hired some guy that works in their Windows division and is making a Linux version just so that way they can ship a few Linux laptops. It is they created a relationship, canonical, created an OEM program, and when you sell more than 100,000 units a year, you become you get into this OEM program and you pay a certain amount per rig and part of that benefit is you get to pass off the support to Canonical if there's an issue. The phone rings at Canonical's desk, and Canonical writes any of the customization code that you need to make it work on your hardware. And then they package it, they update it, and they maintain it, and they ship it. That's not what System76 is doing. And they are much smaller than Dell. It just doesn't seem sustainable for them. It just really doesn't. Well, I'm going to try it out, because I... You know what? I've been impressed so far, and I've also met them. I I do wonder. See, I have a dream, Chris, that there will be a Linux vendor who can give me a laptop that is totally customized to the hardware. Um, maybe we could call them like, you know, banana or strong, <laughs> and where I am not fiddling around with crappy drivers or bad power settings and all that kind of nonsense. And like someone who manufactures this stuff in the United States, I don't know, like in Colorado. So let me ask you this. So say, uh, you know, you have this huge fat contract come along that was going to be paying for a while or a massive purchase uh, for Alice that was going to be paying for a while. And Apple also revved the MacBook Pro and it's just they fixed all the keyboard issues. It's just it's just much better now. Why would you not just do that? So one, any purchases I would be making are not for me. Right, these would be purchases for employees at this juncture because mm. I'm happy with my lemur and my. Crappy so why why work. make your why make your employees run Linux? Uh, because I hate them. <laughs> I mean, I'm just playing devil's advocate because that's what we do here too. But uh, I mean, really, I am. I'm like, I'm what I'm trying no, to. So, so, so there are a couple practical problems. Um, Macs are incredibly expensive, pound for pound. They also are very hard to upgrade, which means that they yeah, don't have yeah. a long life cycle. Yeah. We are. The way things are going, we are really not doing a lot of Apple-specific work at all. So, a now this is going to be terrible, but a more natural choice might be why make them run Mac or Linux? Most kids out of university or, or even like a you know, technical school in Florida actually know Windows. Like, if you really Sorry, wanted what? to, I'm not familiar with if you, right, if you really wanted to optimize to the student base, you would just like buy a bunch of Dell XPSs or Dell Inspirons with, um, with Windows 10. Now, because we work in a Unix environment, I don't think that's really super good. Hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, I actually totally agree. And I think if you're not if you're not writing an Xcode, you don't really need a Mac, or if you're not editing Final Cut or whatever that uh, Mac specific app is. Hey, just get Windows and put uh, the Ubuntu uh, Bash stuff on there, and you're good to go, man. So that's the other thing I did. Oh boy! I partitioned the yes. Are you ready? I. It's funny you say this. I installed Windows 10 this morning for something I'm working on. So I actually yes, have. I, I have a lot of. <laughs> okay, go go. Tell me about it. So, um, I installed Windows 10 on a partition on my lemur, thinking we are doing a lot with like Azure and the like Microsoft Bot framework. Um, you know, full disclosure: the Matt Botter is now part of uh, the Azure Bispark program. Cool. Because Damn those Azure prices. Huh. Yeah. So really, we're, we're pretty tied to, like, Microsoft tools. The bot framework we're using is Microsoft. There's a whole lot of stuff going on. 
And I'm like, let me just like try it. Let me see, is it really that bad? It's not, actually. Um, I was a little disappointed in the Ubuntu bash on Windows thing. There's one I had to do the stupid Windows Insider thing, which like took forever. Oh, yeah. And then two, all I wanted was like a, a bash terminal that was like built in, like not using you know any kind of uh, third-party thing like Sigwin or anything. But like I wanted the home directory to be like my Windows home directory, right? I didn't want to have this weird you're somewhere else on the disk thing going on. Because what I was hoping for is I would like install VS Code for Windows and just like use that normally as though it's Windows. And then when I'm doing Git or any like command line stuff, I would do it in the Ubuntu bash thing, which is possible but not convenient. So that was disappointing. Hmm. Um, I I have to say, and send your hate mail to Alan at Jupiter Broadcasting, <laughs> if I wasn't already so deeply invested in like my lemur and like Linux and Ubuntu, I believe pop aside for now, but pop or Ubuntu, I probably like if I if I had to like if today was you know if it was tw- 20, 2009 or twenty oh eight and I was starting over. I think a Surface running Windows 10 with like a Ubuntu shell on it would probably be hmm. like the right tool for the job. Mm-hmm. And one like weird phenomenon before I let you go, Chris, here is Florida's comp sci and like development programs are highly skewed towards Microsoft. Hmm. So like I wasn't kidding that like even by asking them like these kids to use a Mac, I'm running a pretty significant training cost. Hmm. Like there there is a temptation here to just say you know what? I, I don't care. Like, right. I, I mean, my thing I with guess. windows too, is like, if you know how to use it, like if you, if you're, if you're legitimately proficient in it, you can generally keep it running fine. Well, and I always get a windows job in here and there, right. Where there's like an ASP thing. Yeah. I always have a purchase somewhere. Yeah. My, but, my issue with windows has always been, I just don't really, I like to, I like to, I love that when I'm on Linux, if I download something that's not exe, I never have to worry that it, it might be malware. You know, those kinds of things. But yeah, I, I do follow what you're saying, especially if it's if it's their system to maintain, like if it's their job to keep it running and keep it working fine and it's not my problem, I don't really care what they use anymore. That's where I'm getting at. So I, tr- I installed Windows 10 on uh, this super high-end Dell Precision laptop. Um, I think it's the 5570, and um, it's a monster of a system with um, with Linux on there. But I, I needed to uh, fix an NTFS drive that was that was really important to me and very damaged. Thank you, Android. Android NTFS support is maybe not as 100% as Google claims it is. And uh, cool. Cool. so... Well, no. Chris is in beta. And I, I also uh, I needed to update my Garmin, which only works on Windows. So I'm like, all right, fine. These are two <laughs> things that need Windows. This is not the first time I've installed Windows 10, but it might be like no more than five times that I've installed Windows 10. So it's just enough that I've done it a few times. I know how sometimes it can be a little whiny about Linux formatted drives, and I know how to get through that really quick now. And the other thing that I've, I've learned setting up Windows 10 that makes a big difference for me personally, just to keep a system clean and lean, is at the setup, I'm installing Windows 10 Pro, by the way. And when I install it, it says, all right, do you want to set up a, you know, a home account, basically, or do you want to set up a corporate account? And the way it's verbed, it, the way they verb it out there is it looks like it's going to make you join a domain the entire time. And so I've never clicked it before. But this cu- last couple of times now, I've clicked that join a corporation network, and I've gone through, and then it prompts you to create a local account. And 
it gets all the way to joining a domain, but never makes you join a domain. And it just skips all of the Microsoft account integration and all this extra setup stuff yeah. that I never really wanted. It's just a classic Windows user account with a password that I can log in with. And so that that is, now that I'm starting to sort of learn those ropes, I'm learning the dance that I have to go through to make it less crap. Like, I, And the other thing I do is I open up the start menu and I basically unpin all of the stuff that they've pre-suggested. I just get all of that distracting crap out of there immediately. Right. And I, you know, I, I change... You, mean you don't want to play Candy Crush 17? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I change all that stuff. Um, and the other thing I noticed is uh, uh, the Cortana, the Cortana, like, talk you through the setup stuff is really obnoxious. I yeah, had, to mute, right yeah, had to mute you that can, immediately. I, I appreciate that. On the first one. I like that they tell you that. That is, if you don't want to hear me, just click the speaker icon. I'm like, okay, thank you, Cortana. <laughs> so, fa- Father Fisher, may I make a confession? Hmm. I may have been traveling and in frustration between switching between a MacBook and my Field Notes notebook, said to someone, you know, if I had a Surface Pro, I wouldn't have to deal with this crap. I did not buy a Surface Pro. I want to be perfectly clear about that part. <laughs> hmm. I mean, I'm not, saying, I'm not saying I'm sticking with it, but I'm saying it was better than I expected. You know, I like everything about Windows 10 except for the software. Yeah, and, <laughs> and, the, yeah, and the high DPI support's yeah. a bit of a mess. And uh, there's a... What I notice is when you go to the control panel or the settings, they just expect you to read a lot. You know, screw, right. screw visuals. They have like these weird generic control panel icons. And they expect you to read it like links next to them to tell you what it's just that all is very odd. But, um, you know, for setting it up and getting work done, I can understand where you're coming from. Well, I mean, all kidding aside, like. I really, really wanted convergence to work and it just hasn't except for the surface. And even then, well, really. my son. Yeah, I'm sorry, but uh, you must give up on some dreams and perhaps it'll be a challenge for another generation to defeat. I, it's going to be voice, but. I'm uh, and there's my son screaming because I mentioned Windows 10 too many times. So woke him up <laughs> well, go go drown your sorrows for a moment while I mention DigitalOcean. Go there and get a little refreshment. DigitalOcean.com. Create an account and use our promo code CoderDigital. It's one word. You apply it after you've created the account and you get a ten dollar credit at DigitalOcean.com. Simple, super fast, no confusion, easy interface, straightforward process to getting their high-performance rigs online. You can get started in less than 55 seconds, and you'll get what they call a droplet with root access, and you can get going. Everything's SSDs, whether it's one of their super value rigs up to their big monster systems with tons of CPU and and hundreds of gigs of RAM. They'll do all SSDs to the entire thing. And then when you need more, they've got highly available block storage, which you can attach up to 16 terabytes, also SSDs, lightning-fast networking, 40 gigabits into the hypervisors, Hypervisors run GNU slash Linux. And of course, you're using KVM. And they've integrated monitoring where you can collect metrics, monitor performance, or get alerts when something goes down. And they have load balancing as a service to make you really look like a boss and scale when you actually get some demand. And they have open source applications and entire stacks ready to go in a single deployment. They have a simple API you can use in data centers all over the world. This is the way to get your infrastructure when you need it for testing, for learning, or for production. And they have a great documentation section over in their community area. I was uh, just going through there today and noticed that uh, a few weeks ago, not even that long ago, actually, about 10 days ago, they posted a great introduction to object storage versus block storage. 
This is if you if you if you heard of these terms, but you're wondering what's the big difference that what's really the difference between object storage and block storage? I know Amazon has object storage, and I know DigitalOcean has object storage and block storage. What's the difference? Well, this is a a grade A write up on it. Really easy to process, super easy to get through, well documented. Check it out. That's available for anybody. But go to digitalocean.com, create your account, and use our promo code Coder Digital. It's one word. It'll give you a ten dollar credit. And you can try out that $5 rig two months for free. DigitalOcean.com. Use our promo code, code or digital. Thanks to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. So I have a little skunkworks project, speaking about bots that I'd share with you a little bit. Do it. Get the Dominic's opinion. <clears throat> so the Beard and uh, others in the uh, Discord, There we have a Jupiter Dev Discord where uh, we're working on like community projects and stuff in there. And it's been a pretty good little chat for people to brainstorm ideas and they're trying to solve a problem. And how do you solve a problem like Maria? Oh, that's what we should call the bot. Uh, so here's the issue. is we Jupiter Broadcasting now has multiple platforms that are bot-enabled. You've got Telegram, IRC, Slack, potentially Skype, I suppose, um, and Discord. All of which have community in them. And all of them want access to JBot. JBot only lives in the IRC right now because it's a classic IRC bot. And so the idea is core, and it's only a proof of concept right now. And uh, actually, I guess the idea is um, hegemony, (laughs) as I say it, Uh, hegemony, which is uh, a project to essentially make a multi-platform bot. And you've got a couple of diagrams up here. It's all proof of concept right now. But the idea would be you would have connectors that could live in IRC, Discord, Twitch, Chat, Telegram, Slack. They would come into an engine, which would have access to things like host quotes, calendar times of live shows, suggesting titles, triggering DigitalOcean API actions, and then there would be an HTTP API to communicate with the database. So you would have essentially this three-sectional approach. The first first section being the adapters that talk to the different chat rooms, the, the actual front end of the bots, the second section being the engine and all of the things it resources, and then the centralized database that kind of brings it all together. And, and the hope is you, you can essentially create one persistent bot database, the, the essential authority, and you can get access to this information regardless if you're on IRC one moment and Discord the next moment and Telegram the next moment. It's all one centralized bot with uh, certain web front ends generated for some of the information, like uh, the title suggestions for voting the JB Titles page and uh, submitting new host quotes, perhaps even creating a front end to start and stop DigitalOcean droplets with using the API. So there's also a web component that would read the database. Kind of a, kind of a cool project they're working on. Do you have initial thoughts? Because it's all very, you know, bots are hot. Hot bots. Bots are hot. They're like... Uh, <clears throat> I like the setup you have there. Now, I'm wondering, what, what is the bot written on right now? Well, that's that's currently being debated in the uh, Jupiter okay. Dev Discord channel. Uh, the initial momentum is Ruby, just because the initial bot was Ruby. But there's folks in there advocating Rust and Go. So, I mean, the, the conversation's happening right now. I, I don't know if they've made any serious decisions yet. It'll probably depend on it'll probably depend on the contributors who who kind of consolidates around the project and starts contributing code. Will probably drive the direction of the language. Got it. No, that makes a ton of sense. It's kind of a neat idea. And it is a neat idea. Yeah, I mean, I looked at Go for uh, for Alice. Ended up not going with it. <laughs> so I did that. But it, Go has a, a huge advantage over what I'm doing, which is JavaScript and V8. 
in that it is naturally more performant. I know that's a broad statement. People are going to correct it, but theoretically, right, Go should be faster and therefore less resource intensive. I think it's leaning, Nelson in the chat room says it's leaning Ruby right now because there's already some proof of concept code written, but yeah. And that's like the exact opposite. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I wonder, you know, it doesn't have to be crazy fast, but performance, I suppose, matters. This whole thing is pretty intense, though. It's like a pretty, like our, our humble little, uh, our humble little J-Bot is going to be rebuilt into this multi-platform monster. But it does seem like, no, it, it does seem like yeah. this is what you have to do. You, you have to be able to create a bot that has a multi-presence because... I mean, just having it in the IRC isn't all that useful anymore. Well, that, that's one of the challenges we're having with Alice. Um, we're talking about adding a bunch of email functionality, which is actually like a huge pain in the ass. If you've ever dealt with IMAP, it's... Yeah, yeah. And just like finding reliable ways to send mail that don't get you marked as spam. <laughs> well, and like doing it all in JavaScript, I, I have to say, I'm not sure V2 is going to be in JavaScript. It's uh, While it's come a long way... The tooling isn't awesome, um, which is interesting because the alternative would then be a CLR language, right? It would be like C sharp mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And we're already doing some processing. I think with the, uh, I, I, I said lambdas a few weeks ago, and somebody wrote it saying I was wrong, and they were correct. I am wrong. Um, but you, have you heard of AWS Lambda I, functions? Only loosely. I'm not familiar with. So AWS Lambda is uh, the Amazon equivalent of Azure Functions, which is what we're using. Mm. Um, basically, it's like serverless processing of, of its script asynchronously. So what it does is you give it a chunk of code and it runs it. But it only runs it once, right? So it's totally functional. Now, that is awesome with F-sharp. And we, we should probably have a talk on F-sharp one week because I'm, I'm really getting into it. Picture this. You have a picture this. Sicily, 1938, if you get the reference. Oh, I do. Thank you for being a friend. <laughs> thank, you, thank you for being a friend. <laughs> By the way... You're totally blindish. Um, <laughs> you have a ton of data, right? And let's say you were running it on a DO droplet. Let's say it was the $5 a month DO droplet for the sake of, you know, argument. You then move that to Azure, right? You then realize you're doing a hell of a lot of processing on your main instance on Azure. So what do you do? If this one function Right, this one function piece of functionality that does a ton of data processing and it does it on a relatively set schedule per customer. Well, you might go with something like uh, let's just keep an Azure because that's actually what I'm doing. Azure Functions, which is basically a serverless uh, code running structure. And there's a better way to explain this, but maybe you can ask questions and get it out of me. Basically, what happens is you have an endpoint that runs this function with these inputs over and over again. Right, that's all it does. But it is not on the same processing, uh, you know, the same resource. It's not using the same resources as your main application. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Amazon has a version of it called Lambdas. Microsoft calls it Functions. But the beauty of it is that you have no state whatsoever. So you put in data and you get out the massage data. And that's it. Huh. So no state, no chance for collisions, in, out, in, out. Oh, um, boy. That's and nice. it is much more cost-effective if you have a high-intensity task than doing it on your main box, which is my whole point. Ah, yeah. yeah. 
Do you want to? Uh, we have a little video uh, roulette. Let's let's roll the dice here. This is this is about uh, this is from Amazon. When you're building applications, you want them to deliver a great experience for your users. Yeah, that's true. That's maybe us. you want your application to generate in-app purchase options during a gaming session. Maybe rapidly validate street address updates or make image thumbnails available instantly after a user uploads photos. To make this magic happen, your application needs back-end code that runs in response to events like image uploads, in-app activity, website clicks, or sensor outputs. That's a great example, actually. But managing the infrastructure to host and execute back-end code requires you to size, provision, and scale a bunch of servers, manage operating system updates, Mm -hmm. apply security patches, and then monitor all this infrastructure for performance and availability. Wouldn't it be nice if you could just focus on building great applications without having to spend lots of time managing servers? Introducing AWS Lambda. AWS Lambda is a compute service that runs your backend code in response to events such as object uploads to Amazon S3 buckets, updates to Amazon DynamoDB tables, data in Amazon Kinesis streams, or in-app activity. Once you upload your code to Lambda, the service handles all the capacity, scaling, patching, and administration of the infrastructure to run your code and provides visibility into performance by publishing real-time metrics and logs to Amazon CloudWatch. All you need to do is write the code. AWS Lambda is very low cost and does not require any upfront investment. When you use AWS Lambda, you're simply charged a low fee per request and for the time your code runs, measured in increments of 100 milliseconds. Huh. Let's go. That's that is that makes a lot of sense. And that is extremely compelling. And again, I'm using the Microsoft version for reasons basically for gadget credits. Wow. The pricing Um, is is really, really low. It's dirt, dirt cheap. I mean, I looked at we were going to do Lambdas until we did Bispark, but like it's the same deal, right? In fact, the only real difference is, like, you can do any language you want for the most part, I think. I mean, I went with F-sharp for what I think are good reasons, Um, which, surprisingly, of course, the chat room is not super familiar with. So maybe we should have a show on it one day. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, this is, like... So BizSpark gives you sort of the same thing on Azure for, like, a predefined amount or something? Yeah, they basically give you credits right. to use. Right. BizSpark yeah. is like a helping out startups with, with Azure credits. And so you're using the Azure credits to, to run. What's the Azure equivalent of this called? Uh, functions. Azure functions. Ah, okay. Ah, okay. Interesting. Yeah, so it, it's an interesting strategy. I mean, we talked Very. about like Microsoft cooperating with Linux. Because as soon as they approved that, which they were actually relatively good at, hmm. it... I'm very much incentivized to like do as much as possible on Azure now because sure, right? yeah. I haven't yet hit that cap. Right. So it's all effectively free. <laughs> um, what could go now. wrong? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Is, here, just try this out for a little while. We'll give you it for free. What, what, but, what's, yeah. Mm-hmm. But like, Ooh, no ulterior motive there. <laughs> is, is the, the main dev box is it's just an Ubuntu server. Like it is a it is a pure Linux box. Uh, stage same right. I'm deploying with guess what I'm deploying with Chris? Guess. Just take a guess. A Visual Studio Code and wrong. Uh, wrong. What do I always deploy with? Oh, you're not using. How did, you're how not, did I move to Florida? You're how not using the built-in. You're not using. No, the, Docker. Yeah, I know, I know, but you can, you could. There's plugins to. I figured you had like some sort of badass plugin system now with Visual Studio Code to just execute it all off in Visual Studio Code. Like I thought that was oh, gonna be the God. twist. I just have a shell script. 
How did I move just, to Florida? <laughs> I just got that. <laughs> yeah, I got it. I got it. <laughs> it's good. Yeah. Of course. Of course. Absolutely. And they yeah. love it. They love it, don't they? They just eat them now, all up these now, days. In in theory, before we before we go for the day. Because people are gonna email in about lock in. I can already I can hear the DOS keyboards clicking. Mm-hmm. Oh, you bet. The only part I'm really locked in with is the Azure functions part. Because that would be hard to move. Um Theoretically, because I've architected Alice completely in Docker, I should be able to just move that container to any other host. It was originally in DO, right? But my DO bill got scary, and they were very nice about giving me a break. Um, AWS, again, scary. But theoretically, right, if I wanted to, say, do a redundancy thing where I moved it between different hosts, I should be able to do that. Can you tell that I'm not super confident in this anymore? Well, cautiously approaching it based on past experience yeah. would be a charitable way to put it, I suppose. <laughs> well, it, you know, it, 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 it's – and thank you, Microsoft Rep, for doing this. I am not dissing Microsoft. Um, it is good to be as platform agnostic as possible is all I want to say. Like, just – if you were around in like the mid-2000s, I don't know, Windows Phone 8, WinRT, if you've been down this road before, Sam. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Definitely agree with you there. And that's why, you know, you just go at it with some with, with a little bit of caution and a little bit of expectation setting down just like a notch or two from what I still says. want my $40,000 back. <laughs> oh, it's okay. It's okay. Just breathe deep. Just breathe deep. And don't worry. If you we'll, don't get that, listen to the back catalog. <laughs> we'll revisit it all again on Thursday with another special edition of the Coda Radio program because, well, we missed you so damn much last week. In the meantime, Mr. Dominic, where should you uh, have the folks visit? Uh, follow at the Mad Botter Inc. and follow me at I think that's brilliant. At Dumanuka and at Mad Botter Inc. I am at Chris LAS and the network is at Jupiter Signal. Don't know about our crazy live times? JupiterBroadcasting.com slash calendar. Want to get involved in the conversation over in our Jupiter Dev channel? Go to discord.me slash Jupiter Colony. Sign up and you'll see Jupiter Dev in there. You can also participate in our live chats and you can leave me feedback in the hair care channel. See you next week. Actually, I'll see you on Thursday. I should. We'll see you on Thursday. Maybe Friday, kind of depending on your. Oh, oh, never mind. See you then.